Great. Good morning, Gateway Church. My privilege to be here and speak in this church for the third time now. It has been a couple of years. Had a slight uh, kind of flu virus going around the world that's spoilt everybody's fun for the last while. But a real privilege to, to be back with you guys. And we love this community. I've said it before. If we lived in Pool, this is definitely the church we'd be part of. And uh, so a privilege to be back with you guys. And I, I do want to say just on behalf of the movement of churches that we're a part of across the world. Thank you so much for generously hosting this conference and opening your hearts, your homes. People are hosting, people from around the world. There's many serving. Uh, there's a number of people working behind the scenes to, to host us, and that's a real privilege. And we trust, we move this conference around the world at great expense because we believe it is such a great opportunity for the local church to be drawn in to what God's doing around the world. So when Matt says, hey, please come to one of these evenings, uh, my suggestion is to move that from a great encouragement to a charge. Get there. We brought this conference to you so that you could come this week, right? And see and participate in and be encouraged by what God's doing around the world. And to worship with people from around the globe who love King Jesus. What a privilege to do that. So why don't you come and join us this week? But thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for opening this community and your beautiful town to us this week. I also want to say thank you for being a sending and sowing church. You guys uh, participate, a, a fraction of the income of this church every single month gets sown into advanced church planting, church strengthening. The ability to make sure that uh, leaders are being strengthened and encouraged this week is happening through the generosity of this church. And you're also a, a sending church, and we've been benefactors of Matt and Grace and uh, being in our context, particularly Matt, earlier this year again. I mean, you've been with us three, four times over the years? Yeah. But the privilege of having this gift come and serve on the southern tip of Africa, uh, that's because of you guys. So thank you for being a sending and a sowing and a generous church. Uh, my privilege to be able to come today and extend that thanks on behalf of our global togetherness. Now, I want to encourage you, firstly, before we get into God's Word, which is the plumb line of truth that directs us and leads us, and upon which we build this church and our churches around the world, I want to, uh, as I was praying for this time a couple of weeks ago, I felt like God just gave me one little sentence to to encourage and to pass on to you. And I encourage you as a church to weigh this and to bring it before the Lord and I submit it to the elders. But as I was praying, I felt specifically for Gateway Church that God said, I will use this church for true restoration. When I first heard that word, I thought, Lord, that's a bit of a fortune cookie word, true restoration. I mean, that is so broad. Could you not be a little more specific, Lord? And it's kind of if you take the cat's that's been lost by the granny, and you bring the cat back to the granny, you've restored the cat to the granny, right? And I mean, that just seems so specific, but as I kind of pondered on it a little more, as I thought about it a little bit more, I started to say, Lord, what would it look like for true restoration to happen in marriages? God, what would it look like for this church to be involved in seeing true restoration come to broken families? God, what would it look like for true restoration to, to be extended into social ills in the community here in Poole? God, what would it look like for you, you to use men and women to see people restored, created ones, to their creator? 
people saved from a godless eternity by being introduced to King Jesus? What would it look like for true restoration to happen? And as I thought about those things, as I considered those things, I found myself saying, Lord, won't you do that? This little word, your little promise to this church, may that become a a big promise that changes lives in the years to come. So I leave that with you. I'm not going to pack, unpack it much more than that, but I submit it to the team and say, won't you pray about that? Won't you, won't you ask God to just allow that word to settle on you and stir some faith in you, if that's his word, to this church at this time? And we're going to actually look at a book of restoration this morning. If you've got your Bibles, maybe you want to open to the book of Ezra because that's where we're going to be. We're going to just unpack the first five verses of this book. I will be showing it on the screen, so don't feel like you need to scurry if you didn't bring your Bible with today. But I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to allow, hopefully, God's Word to to be His Word to us all here this morning. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, beside freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. This is God's word to us today. Let me just say this right on the front end. I understand that you're in the middle of a building project, and I want to say two things. Firstly, this text has got nothing to do with that, okay? They're building a temple here, a house of the Lord. That's not predominantly why I felt drawn to this text. Actually, I'd worked through this devotionally a little while ago, and when I felt that restoration word, I thought this book of restoration, which is Ezra, and came back to this and felt God say there was something in here. But let me just say this to you, Gateway Church. I love the fact that's being, the faith that's being extended in this building project in this time. Last night I heard some people saying that people in this church have been praying for this building kind of restoration, renovation for decades. And here, this church is right now in this COVID season putting a faith stake in the ground in this community. And you know what it says to the larger extended community in Pool? We're here for the long term. We have plans and purposes to be used by God, and we're extending our capacity to be able to serve you. 
And I love the faith being extended in that. And so I want to say well done again to all of you. And I want to say thank you for being the faithful people of God in your generation in this place at this time. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving up on coffees and holidays and extensions to your house so that you can participate in underwriting what God's doing through this building project. I just want to say thank you to you for your faithfulness in that. But this is not predominantly about that. Back to our passage. The first thing that we need to realize is it starts here with in the first year of Cyrus of Persia. So King Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, has just come into power here. And when you first get to, you might think, oh, he's now the new king. But the truth is, he's not. What we have to understand is the northern tribes have been conquered by the Assyrians in 700-something BC. Now, some years later, we find the southern tribes, they have been conquered by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, and they've been pulled into exile in Babylon. And 36 years, 37 years later, the Babylonians get conquered by the Syrians under Cyrus the Great. And guys, we're not talking fairy tales here. I, I was, Georgie was telling me the other day that in the British Museum, there's some artifacts of Cyrus the Great. And she told me that before she knew I was talking about this. How cool is that? We are talking about history here and God's working in to this context. So here you've got this pagan king. He's not part of the people of God. And yet God is going to use him powerfully for his purposes. And so we, we can, in a sense, find ourselves recognizing he's not on the side of the people of God, but he's still being used for the purposes of God. And we see God move in on this man. And the big question is, why? Why does God move in on him? The answer is found in the next little piece of the verse. That the word of the Lord, by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled. And I, two points that come out of this. The first one is, God speaks. The word of the Lord. God has spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah, God had spoken his words to his people. God is a God who speaks. And then point two, God is committed to his promises and his purposes. God speaks, and because he is God and he cannot lie, he is faithful and he is committed the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful to his word, and he fulfills his purpose and his promise. And I think that as the people of God, I would have hoped that I don't have to remind us that we have a God that speaks. We have his word. He's spoken so powerfully through his word. But even today, God speaks to us in, in just a prophetic sense like that God using Gateway Church for true restoration. That's a word of God to this community. And God speaks to us personally. And God speaks to us specifically. God speaks to us corporately as the people of God. But here's the cool thing. What this tells us, God's declared his plans and his purposes, general and specific, but he's committed to them. And God has promised to rebuild the temple through Jeremiah. He's made this promise. And now in the most unlikely moment that this promise could be fulfilled, not only have they been dragged away by the Babylonians and are they in Babylonian exile, but now the Babylonians get conquered by King Cyrus the Great. 
And in their double conqueredness, God moves in. God moves in. And that's so often uh, the case. So often we can find ourselves in our most dire situation at the end of ourselves when we see God moving in. That's my personal experience. So often when I get to the end of Ryan, right? So sometimes what can happen? A crisis hits, and what do I think? I'm not sure I'm the only one, but this often happens. I'm sure I can help here. I'm sure I can solve this, and I get stuck in. And then when it doesn't quite work out, then I go, hey, God, what would you want to do in this situation? Hey, God, we might need to draw on a power greater than our own. And we invite God into the situation. But to my discredit, sometimes that comes second, right? At times, we may feel like things around us are in chaos. Is it just in South Africa that we feel like things are in chaos? Or have you guys lived through a global pandemic over here too? We might feel like our circumstances can be dire and difficult. We, we may at times feel out of control. I have a teenage daughter. We may at times feel out of control, but God is still ultimately in control. And the most powerful king in the world at the time bows to the plans and the purposes of God. Because God has declared his promise and he's faithful. He is God and he does not lie. But how often do we find ourselves doubting, right? Lord, are you really going to do what you've promised? God, are you really here with me now? Lord, why does it feel like you're far away? Can I trust you? Are you going to come through? Sometimes he, he may not come through for us, maybe because it's not his plan and purpose in the first place. Maybe he's been trying to teach us something. God's teaching his people something in, in this exile they experience. Maybe it's just not his perfect timing yet. But those are all three sermons for another day, right? <laughs> the reality is, is the commentators tell us that one of the key reasons for the whole book of Ezra being written is to attest to the faithfulness of God to his people and to his plans, to his promises. And we see him doing that king through King Cyrus. Let me ask you, Gateway Church, as a collective, what are the, what are the words that God has spoken over this church? Next week as you gather, Sunday evening, a time of worship and prophecy, creating room for God to speak amongst us. Can we anticipate that God will speak? Because he is a God that speaks. Which promises do you need to freshly hold on to and be reminded of as a community? Obviously, there are many things, many promises that God would promise to His church, all of us, my church in Cape Town, you as the gathered church here in Poole, God's general promises to His people, but also specific promises. And think of your life, God's general promises to you as a son and daughter of the King and Most High, but also God's specific promises to you. I remember when I was 19 years old, not even sure I was fully following Jesus yet, and I went to a Sunday evening meeting, and there was a person who's prophetically gifted, and we also had a worship evening, and she picked me out of a crowd. And my whole high school career, I'd kind of thought I was just going to chase after my own kind of life and well-being and things like that, and my passion was to travel. 
And God got a hold of my heart, and he said, will you lay it all down? And I felt like, yes, Lord, I'll lay it all down for you. I was so radically gripped by the grace of God in my life. And I felt like I was laying it all down. This lady picked me out of a crowd, and she said to me, uh, you, sir, ask for my name. And she said, Ryan, I feel like God is going to use you. He's going to use you in teams to the nations. I see teams to the nations. I feel like God's saying he is restoring you to travel to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And you're going to be involved in teams that will, will go to nations. And as God spoke that word, I knew there was this, this, this clarity around what God had asked me and called me to do. Now, some years later, I have the privilege of doing exactly that with Matt and others and being in beautiful places, the ends of the earth, like Madagascar, serving with these brothers. There's a beauty to, as God speaks, he's faithful to his promises. In the late 1670s, John Bunyan wrote that famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, right? And it's kind of an, 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 an allegory for how you uh, like kind of move through this life and how we are journeying from this world and to, to heaven one day. And, and we know the main character is Christian, right? And Christian is journeying to, to the celestial city, which is paradise and, and which is heaven. And for those of you who don't know the story, at one point, Christian and his friend, his friend's name's Hopeful, they're taken captive by the giant despair. And the giant despair gets hold of them, and he locks them in this castle and in the castle dungeon. And the, dun the castle is named Doubting Castle. And they're locked in there, and they're despondent, and they're going through a really tough time until they start to pray. And Christian remembers. Let me read this quote to you. What a fool I have been to lie like this in this stinking dungeon when I could have just as well walked free. In my chest pocket, I have a key called promise that will, I am thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then said Hopeful, that is good news. My good brother, do immediately take it out of your chest pocket and try it. Then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock of the dungeon door. And as he turned the key, the bolt unlocked and the door flew open with ease so that Christian and Hopeful immediately came out. See, John Bunyan had grasped the reality that God's promises are like a key in our lives. And they can open and release us from the dungeons of Doubting Castle. I wonder what this means for your life this morning. I wonder where your doubts may be kind of flooding in. I wonder where your questions and concerns may be overwhelming. Can you take hold of freshly the key of promise and what God has spoken, the truth he has revealed through his word to you? And can you stand upon those promises? Can you allow those promises be, to be like the key of promise? that gets you out of that dungeon of Doubting Castle. Let's bring to mind these promises of God as we continue this morning. Let's continue in the passage. The Lord stirred up the spirits of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, most likely the most powerful person on the planet at the time, and he has charged me 
to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, God speaks, and God's faithful to fulfilling his plans and his promises. But now we start to see in this story, as we see in so many other stories in Scripture, how God goes about achieving his plans and his promises. And so often the first thing we see is that God moves in on the heart of a leader and uses a leader to catalyze his plans and his promises. And we see God doing that here with Cyrus. And it happens in this passage so powerfully. And, and don't you love the conviction and the confidence with which he speaks? He says, the Lord, the God of heaven has charged me to build. Now, he's pretty powerful already, right? So he's most probably not lacking in confidence. But that's not what he communicates where his confidence is as he comes to speak to these people and to catalyze them to the purposes of God. Where does he find his confidence? And, and we need to look at the next verse to see that. In verse 3, it says, Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. And let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who's in Jerusalem. Now we see three quick things, three very important things around where Cyrus finds his confidence to charge the people. He gets charged by God to build this house and then he catalyzes the people, and his confidence and his conviction doesn't come just from who he is as King Cyrus. It comes out of these three things. Firstly, it's clear that Cyrus saw them as God's people. It says his people, God's people. These are not Cyrus's people. Yes, he's conquered them, and in a sense, he's got these conquering rights over them, but he appeals to a much higher rights. These are the God rights over these people, and he appeals to that. These are his people. And secondly, he knows they will see this as not Cyrus's work, but God's work. Do you see that? He looks at rebuilding the house of the Lord, and he has confidence to charge them and conviction to charge them because these are God's people, and they're about God's work. And then thirdly, he knows that ultimately God will be with them. May his God be with him. He doesn't appeal to his kind of military power. He doesn't appeal to his provision. He doesn't appeal to any of those things. He appeals to God being present amongst his people. Isn't that powerful? And I trust that the leaders in this community would find a fresh confidence and a fresh conviction to lead and to, to, to be charged by God in what he says, but to lead and to call people to these purposes because you are God's people, not these leaders' people. Who's the head of the church? Christ. So that makes all the rest of us body. Elders may lead, and that's a gift to the church. Matt may lead the eldership team, and that's a gift to the team, which is a gift to the church. But ultimately, Christ is the head of the church, and the rest of us are all body. God's people. I hope that when you do stand up here, leaders, you'll find the same confidence, the same conviction. This should be so encouraging to us, so encouraging to us. And these are leadership lessons that are hard won. 
I remember in my own life, 10 years ago, um, we, we were one church and we planted some churches. And after planting a few churches, I was asked to, to step in to lead the original church. And so I stepped into the leadership team and a couple of months in, for years, I'd been looking at this plot of vacant land, which we own, but kind of standing there empty, and our kind of facilities towards our kids and youth ministry and those kinds of things were, were just, we, we didn't have the appropriate facilities for the work we wanted to do and the, even the work we were already doing. And so as I stepped into leadership as kind of like a youngish guy, I felt God charged me to build something on that piece of property. And so I went to all of our leaders and I shared the plans and, and they responded so well and it was such an invigorating journey. And then I, we brought it to the church as a leadership team and the people responded so well and it was amazing. And it was not a small project, quite an expensive build, but the people responded so well. And we kind of set a target. If we can have half the money in the bank, then we push and go on the building. And we, we had half the money in the bank. We pushed go. And by the time we started building, we had another 10% in the bank. And it was so invigorating. It was all looking like it, it was going forward. But then we built for eight months. And in the eight months while we were building, the money kind of just trickled in a little bit. And we saw about another 10% come in. And we had 70% of it in. Now, let me tell you, on general Building project standards, having 70% of the project paid off before you moved in is fantastic. But I was somewhat discouraged because I'd felt God clearly say to me that he would provide every penny needed to pay this venue off before we moved in. And I, as a leader, was so trusting for that and praying for that. My faith was up for that because I believe that it's a tool for a task. Any venue like the one you're building is a tool for a task. It is not an end in itself. And I didn't want to have a mortgage bond around my neck as a leader and for our budgets. We wanted to see all finances flow towards ministry and missions. And we wanted to get on with it and not be servicing this big mortgage. And God had spoken. That was the most important thing. God had spoken. And so one day I went to the church for about the sixth time in the journey over about a year long, and I kind of cast vision, and I was very strategic, and, and I did everything I could do as a leader, and I got in my car, and I had a man tantrum. Do you know what a man tantrum is? It's like when you like hit your hands on the steering wheel, and I hit my hands on the steering wheel, and I said, Lord, I'm done. I'm done. I am a pastor. I'm not a fundraiser, and I'm not asking a single another person for a penny. Not a cent. I'm done. And God, I've done everything on my side of this arrangement. I've been strategic. I've used all my leadership gifts. I've done fancy PowerPoints. I've done everything I can do as a leader. I'm done. And I heard silence from God. No response. Didn't smite me for my man tantrum. The next day, one of the elders phoned me. He said, Ryan, are you sitting down? I said, why? So he said, no, I've actually got great news. He said, yesterday, this man, and he mentioned the guy's name, and I know this guy had been coming to our church for many years, but not very often. And he said, that guy phoned me this morning, and he said he was in the meeting yesterday when you shared the vision for the building, and he hadn't heard of it yet. Tells you how often he comes, right? We've been in this building project for like a year. And he said, as, as this guy heard this, he's conveying this to one of the elders. He said, and I felt God clearly speak to me that this was my burden to bear. 
So he's finding the elder to find out how much 30% actually is and where he needs to send it. And the elder told him what it was, and the next day he transferred the full 30% into our bank accounts. And I learned a vitally important leadership lesson in that. God speaks, and when he speaks, he is faithful to his promises. But these are not my people. These are God's people. And God works in the hearts of people. He uses leaders to catalyze. I guess if I didn't have my PowerPoint up there, and if I didn't tell him there was 30% still lacking, he most probably wouldn't have known about it and come back to church a year later, right? (laughs) But the reality is that God moves on the hearts of people. And we've got to trust God to do that in all of our lives. Such, Such a leadership lesson. And God is really with us. My man tantrum was like, where are you, God? Have you forsaken me? I'm doing my part of the journey. What about you carrying your side? Now, God's with us. I kind of imagine God just chuckling in that moment. Hmm, not such a great man tantrum there. <laughs> he is at work. How are your conviction and confidence levels, leaders in Gateway Church? Have you experienced any setbacks? I think leaders the world over, in churches, and organizations, and a number of things in the last two years have taken a battering. They've been stretched. The amount of, of kind of health and wellness dynamics that I'm aware of in the life of the church, the, the globe over. Can you freshly invite God to put some steel in your bones as leaders? He has called you. He has charged you. These are his people. These are his plans. These people see God as worthy of his work. Ultimately, God is with you. God has given this church a job to do. The Lord, the God of heaven, has charged you to build a church and pool, which is in Dorset. Just put, put gateway in there. The Lord, the God of heaven, has charged you to build a church in pool, which is in Dorset. Not a building, a church. God is going to catalyze and mobilize this people for his purposes and to see this place blessed. And many people reached and brought to an understanding of who he is ultimately for his glory. And the question is, leaders, will you be involved in catalyzing this work of God amongst this people? And then this people, you're not off the hook either, right? Here's how we go into this next little passage, right? Look at the final step and how God goes about accomplishing his purpose. Yes, God speaks. Yes, he is committed to his plans and his purposes, his promises. And yes, he often uses leaders to catalyze those purposes. But fourthly, we see here that the will of God is only fully achieved when the people rise up. When the people rise up. And why do they rise up? Do they rise up just because of the great leadership skills of of the leader catalyzing it? No, they rise up because God gets hold of their hearts and stirs them up. 
Isn't that a beautiful thing? Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah, verse 5, and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go and to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. I, I far prefer it this way. I'm not sure about you. But imagine God just gave his word to leaders, and then leaders just bossed everybody around. That would be far less effective than God actually going, man, I'm going to give my word to leaders. They're going to be catalyzed. But guess what? I'm going to give my word to everybody. The priesthood of all believers being stirred up by God to his plans and his purposes. May Christ, the head of the church, stir us freshly this morning. I want to know, what else are you doing with your one and only life? What else? How many of us have seen that, that kind of, what is that thing called? Conveyor belts. The conveyor belts of life, right? I was looking for the, I don't know what that is. So the, the Brits, you guys don't get the South African uh, charades over here, No. But the conveyor belt of life, I get educated, hopefully I get a good job, hopefully I find a great spouse so that, guess what, we can have some kids so that, guess what, they can get educated so hopefully they can get a good job so that hopefully they can find a great spouse so that, do you see the conveyor belt? The conveyor belt of life, and I'm like, no, Lord, may I not just be one of those that goes upon the conveyor belt of life. Lord, the most exciting thing happening on the planet today is God's Purpose is being fulfilled by God's people in their place that he has called them to. Are you participating in the most exciting thing happening on the planet today? We can walk back out into obscurity as a people trying to make it out there. Or we can be commissioned by the creator of the universe to arrive at work, not tomorrow because it's a bank holiday, but on Tuesday. To arrive at work going, I have been commissioned by the creator of the universe for purpose in this place. I may be his only representative that rocks up in this school this morning. I may be his only representative that rocks up in this place of work this morning. And Lord, won't you make me be fully where I am today. And may my ear be attuned to your purpose. And may I represent you fully. And may you place a courage and a conviction in my heart to fulfill your promises and your purposes. You said we as the church will be a city on the hill. You said you will use us for purpose. You said that at more than what Jesus has done, we will participate in those things. I don't know, I'm not sure about you, but my heart starts to stir. I'm hopeful. And even as I'm speaking, and the little efforts of leadership to catalyze the Spirit of God rests upon you and stirs you up to His purpose. What does a stirred up people look like here at Gateway? I've got to, as a South African, I've got to poke some holes, right? What does a stirred up Brit look like? God wants to stir us up to His purposes. Hey? A stirred up Brit looks like a Brit, right? <laughs> I don't know. What does a stirred up Brit look like? You don't have to think global missions. You don't have to give up your job. You just have to arrive at your job, fired up for his purposes. You just have to say yes to serving and leading 
and giving and praying and encouraging and being a meaningful part of this community right here. Guess what, guys? You most probably not going to reach Cape Town, but I'm most probably not going to reach Pool. That's your responsibility. God's placed this church here to be his representative. Maybe God stirs you freshly for some more radical expression of going and building. Maybe he does. Acts of generosity, service, commitment. That's brilliant if he's done. This church has sent people. The Kennedys were here in the first meeting, came and were with this community and then sent to Scotland to go plant a church in Glasgow. How cool is that? I think of my Malagasy brothers. I, I met Tanterika and Daniel in 2004. We've been friends for, for 18 years. I've, I've been to their nation 20 times over the years. Daniel, when I met him, he was a high school basketballer, and he was only on the youth camps for the girls. I'm convinced. <laughs> but God got hold of his heart. God stirred something up. He rebelled for about three years, and I had to go and fetch him out of his community and bribe him with a burger to come and even meet with me. And as I met with him, I said, God, these, I mean, I said, Daniel, these are God's purposes in your life. You've got leadership in your life, and you're living in less than God's best for you. Come on, man. And called him out. And God, gratefully, catalyzing leader, but God stirred him up some more. And he came out of his youthful rebellion. And he started participating. When Tank planted a church, Daniel said, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to plant. And I had the privilege of ordaining him onto the eldership in that church. And I remember God just giving me this prophetic um, picture. Uh, to, there was two elders, Fidorana and Daniel, being ordained on the same day. And this Malagasy hat of authority and a jacket, a jacket of statesmanship. And I, so this is my five-pound jacket from your charity shop. I just want to say thank you very much to... <laughs> The British people that donated this, I happened to find it on Friday morning as I was walking the streets. But a, a, a jacket not too dissimilar to this, right? A brown jacket, and as I put it on Daniel, I felt that he would be a statesman to the context. And we've seen the stirred upness of God getting hold of an ordinary life, extraordinary God getting hold of an ordinary life and deploying them for his purpose. And then he went on from then to go and plant back in the community where he came from. One of the poorest suburbs in one of the poorest cities in one of the poorest countries in the whole entire world. But stirred up by God for the purposes of God. It's a beautiful picture and I honor it. I believe God honors it too. And what a privilege. Here we are in pool. Who would have thought? Hey, 18 years ago when we were playing basketball as high school, well, I wasn't in high school, but you were. As high schoolers, <laughs> Who would have thought that we'd be sitting here on the coast of England participating in the purposes of God? How beautiful is that? My time's almost up. I wonder what it might look like in your life. Do you need to maybe pray some fresh prayers? God, stir me up to your purposes. God, as I go to work tomorrow, as I consider this job opportunity, God, as I join a new football team, Lord, as I go about knitting club, whatever it is, God, how could you use me for your purpose in this place? There is nowhere. This is what I've learned. And I think many people in this room know this too. There's nowhere to be in the world as beautiful as the will of God. As the will of God 
used in his purposes. It's so beautiful. What could that look like for you? Maybe you've come in here today and and you're not familiar with church. Maybe you're not even sure what you believe about this Christianity thing in Jesus. Can I just say, if, if something is stirring in you, this is a community that exists for your well-being. And it would be the great privilege of the leaders here to journey with you and to answer your questions. And we're all figuring out exactly what it means to hand over the leadership of our life to another. But we have come to a place where we bowed the leadership knee of our lives and said, we need a savior. We are dead in our trespass and sin, and yet there is one who gave his very own life for us. Maybe that's the start of adventure for you today. If that's you, why don't you come and speak to one of the leaders or whoever you came with. It's the great privilege of this community to walk with people in that great adventure. We've spoken about the faithfulness of God. We've spoken about the fact that he speaks, that he is committed to his promises and his purposes, and that those promises and purposes are fulfilled when leaders with conviction and courage catalyze people into moving, and when God gets hold of people and stirs them up and raises them up to play their parts in his purpose. That was true in this situation in the book of Ezra, and I trust that it will be true of Gateway Church in the days to come. Let me just point out four possible dangers of what we've been speaking about here before we close. Imagine, imagine we didn't have one of these key ingredients in play. Or imagine we got the order of these things all mixed up. See, what can happen is when leaders and people are stirred up around an issue, but God hasn't spoken, what do you get? You get a cause-driven church. A cause-driven church is God's not in it, right? There's no sustaining power of the Spirit. There's flurries of energy towards this thing and that thing, but they die out quickly because God hasn't spoken and God's not bringing the unity and the capacity. We need to make sure that God is speaking and that God is moving this community forward. What happens when leaders try themselves to stir up the people and they don't rely on the Spirit to do that stirring? What do we get? We get a legalistic and works-driven church where the leaders are just trying to crack the whip and make people go. That's not God's purpose for us. We need to deepen our dependence upon the Spirit to do His work and His stirring in us. What about when the people are feeling stirred by God, but the leaders aren't leading? And the leaders aren't catalyzing the work out of conviction and courage. We've seen this all too often. We get a chaotic church or a disunified church need to make sure that we have leaders who stand in courage and conviction. In our day, this is vitally important. There are so many contentious issues. We need leaders who stand with courage and conviction. What about when God speaks, the leaders catalyze, but the people are passive, and people are unresponsive, not stirred up, not getting stuck in? What do you get? A frustrated and tired church. A frustrated church because the people are frustrated. Why these leaders have got to keep nagging me about all this stuff they want me to do? Frustrated with the leaders because they're naggy. And the leaders are frustrated with the people because they don't move. And then what happens is you get a tired church because the leaders end up burning themselves out trying to take it all on themselves and make it happen because the people are not participating and fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. Let's all allow God to use us in His plans and His purpose. 
Judges 5 and verse 2, beautiful little verse. It says this, when the leaders lead and the followers follow, praise the Lord. See, when God speaks and he's got plans and purposes and the leaders lead and the followers follow and participate, God be praised. His purposes are fulfilled and he is ultimately glorified. Isn't that beautiful? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, in this moment, in this time, as we seek your face, we are so grateful that you are God that speaks. And I pray, Father, that you would clearly just speak freshly again to this church and to the men and women of this community, even the sons and daughters, that they may prophesy. God, won't you speak? May they dream dreams. God, may this community be a community that is led by the voice of God into the plans and purposes of God. And God, I pray that you'd put steel in the bones of the leaders here. And God, that you would stir up gateway as a people. That this community may live in the full redemptive purpose for which you've established it. God, there are men and women out here just on the streets right behind us in these houses, in these communities that are desperate for life, God. Desperate for truth. Desperate for purpose. Longing for more. Hungry. God, may we be a people that represent you well. May we be about, like Jesus, you were, the Father's business. May we find ourselves saying yes and amen to all that you call us to. Do a work amongst us. God, even as, as a leader today, as I've stood with conviction and confidence to charge these people, God, may you stir and do your work in a most beautiful way here. We freshly submit our lives, the fullness of who we are, to your purposes, to your plans so that you may be glorified. We pray this all in your beautiful name.